Well, hey, welcome to Seacoast. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I want to welcome you if you're joining us in one of the venues here at the Mount Pleasant campus or online at an offsite campus, wherever you may be. We are excited that you are here with us. I want to give a special shout out to our Irmo campus. For the last two days, Katie and I have gotten to partner with Pastor Brian and his wife, Angela, at the Irmo campus to host a marriage weekend. And Irmo just moved into their own permanent facility. In fact, up to this point, they haven't even been in the, the town of Irmo. <laughs> but now they are. They're in a building. And uh, let me tell you what is so special about it. Katie and I moved to Charleston about 13 years ago, and uh, it was in a season of brokenness in our marriage. Many of you have heard us share that story, and we came to Seacoast not to work here, but that this would be a house of healing and hope for us, and it just so happens that the building that the Irmo campus moved into is the building that I was a youth pastor in when our marriage fell apart. And so I knew as soon as they came there, I was like, man, I cannot wait to get back there and minister to some marriages and punch the devil in the throat. How many of you know that, man, the power of God, the healing hand of God, it's just so awesome to proclaim that over each of them. And uh, man, just enjoyed spending time with all of you that were, uh, that were there. Last week, Pastor Josh kicked off a new series for us called Common Ground, where we're looking at what, it, what we believe and why it matters. Last week, the question that he introduced for us was, who is God? And by and large, that's not a question that's very controversial. If you were to walk around downtown in whatever city you might be in and ask people, who is God? You wouldn't get a lot of pushback. Most people believe in, in some form of God. We live in a very inclusive, polytheistic culture, meaning we like to include everybody in it and all roads lead to God, even if we're not talking about the same God. But the question that we're going to look at today is one that introduces a lot more conflict. And it's the, the question of who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? In a very inclusive and polytheistic culture, he made some statements that seem very exclusive and monotheistic. Very specific instruction about who the one true God is and how you get to him. And let me tell you why your response to that question is so important. For the last few weeks, I've been installing a home stereo system at the house. When we moved in to the house we're living in now, there were wires sticking out of the wall and out of the roof. It was like pre-wired for this system. And I've just had this dream of like walking downstairs one day and uh, having, going to have my quiet time. I sit down in the living room on my comfy couch and pulling out iTunes, push and play on a little Brandon Lake or something, have some worship music, fill the house. I'm like, ah, oh, that would just be awesome, Right maybe cleaning up the dishes after dinner one night. And we've been known to have a family dance party, put on a little JT, can't stop the feeling, like put those dishes away right over there, you know, like all on my phone, right? And so I got online and, and I found some awesome speakers on Facebook Marketplace. I found a receiver on eBay. I found some volume control switches on Amazon, ordered all the parts and they all came in. I watched no less than 20 YouTube videos on how to install uh, speakers and wires and all this stuff. And, and at this point, I've spent three Saturdays and probably no less than a dozen evenings once the kids have gone to bed hooking all this stuff up. There's been multiple moments where I've given the family a heads up like, hey, I don't know what y'all are doing, but there's about to be some music busting through these speakers. Don't be alarmed. All right. I just want you to know I'd splice the last wire. I plug it in, I get out my phone, here we go, you know, push play, no music. Oh, gosh. Now, it doesn't matter if I've wasted a lot of time, energy, 
and resources trying to install a home stereo. But what if when a couple days turn into a couple months or season or, or years of life, and it's asking the deeper questions of your soul, how do I find fulfillment? And you've watched the YouTube videos, you've read the books, you've come to church, you're going after God, doing everything you know to do, but you're not feeling or experiencing the abundant life that he came to offer. The Bible tells us that our lives are but a vapor, that they're here today and gone tomorrow. And it's how we answer this question. Who is Jesus that determines whether or not we step into the fullness and the abundance of life that he came to offer? Now, we could popcorn all over the Bible to answer that question. So many different men and women that made professions of faith as to who this man was. We could look at sources outside of the Bible. There are historians that, that wrote documents on the stories of this man, Jesus, his ministry, who he was and what he did, but thought the, the best answer to this question, who is Jesus, would be for us to go to the source himself. Who did Jesus say that he was? So the passage that we're going to look at is found in John chapter 14. And just to set it up for you a little bit, this is Jesus' farewell speech. He's getting ready to leave. The disciples can tell they're in a season of, of transition. And so they're struggling with some fear and anxiety because of that. And so Jesus starts off in verse one, speaking to their hearts. He says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place that I'm going. Thomas said to him, what you got to love, Thomas. I mean, how would you like for your eternal reputation, like to be summed up in your sin and faults? We know him as doubting Thomas. Like, what if you were selfish Steve for eternity, right? But what I love about Thomas is that the Bible doesn't gloss over his humanity. Thomas represents you and I in all of our questions, in all of our doubt, in all of our uncertainty. Jesus knew that was in him, yet he chose him to be one of the disciples. He chose him to be close to him. Well, in this moment, Thomas says like, hey, Jesus, um, we don't know where you are going. So how could we know the way? Like you're always speaking in these parables these stories, these word pictures. We don't know what you are saying. Well, Jesus answered Thomas and he says to each of us today, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. So these three things, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. What does that mean practically for my life today? First of which, first point is this. Number one, he is the way. Jesus is the way. He is the way back to God. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if you look up that word all there in the Greek, it literally means 80% or 80. <laughs> At least one person laugh. Everybody else is like, really? <laughs> I thought I was better than him. No, you're not. <laughs> We've all sinned. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. What we have earned because of our sin is death. Now we're all alive here hearing this message. So do you think it's talking about a physical death or a spiritual death? A spiritual death. There is sin that will lead to a physical death. But what he's saying is that what all of us have earned because of our sin is separation from God. But God, because he so loved you and me, sent his son to die on the cross. And we say for our sin. 
And that's true. He did die for our sin. All of the anger and wrath of God towards sin was put on Jesus on the cross. But it's so much more than just dying for our sin. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He took our sin upon himself. He became sin. That's why while on the cross, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And taking our sin upon himself, it separated him from the father and he cried out to him. But in being there on the cross, he died. He went to the grave. He conquered the grave and he conquered sin so that we might have right standing with God. He is the way to God. So that as we enter into a relationship with him, God sees us in Christ in right standing, forgiven as his sons and daughters. Jesus is the way. First Timothy 2.5 says it this way. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. Acts 4.12 says salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, here's what's unique about this. If you were leaving church today at whatever campus you may be in and or here and you you go to drive off, somebody walks up and says, hey, could you tell me how to get to blank? Can you tell me how to get to Bojangles? Which is a great question because of those seasoned fries and that Bowberry biscuit. Come on, somebody. We all need to know how to get to Bojangles, right? Soon as they ask, you would say two words. You go. You go. And then you'd give them instruction. You go up Long Point Road, you make a right on 17, it's about two miles up on the right, just past an intersection, your boy knows where Bojangles is, right? You would give them a series of instructions, steps they needed to take to go wherever they were asking you about. If they said, hey, how do I get to Clemson? I don't know why you would want to go to Clemson, right? (laughs) But we could tell you the SAT score you need to have, what your GPA needs to be, the the deadline for application so that you could do the things you needed to do to get into Clemson. So why would we think when it comes to matters of our faith as a believer, we know Jesus is the answer, but in any other place we would go or thing that we would get, there's a series of steps that we have to add, a number of different things we have to do. So if we're not careful in our faith, man, we can start adding things to Jesus Convincing ourselves that those things will be what puts us in right standing with God. Well, I know the answer is Jesus, but this is his house. I mean, this is the church. Like, so it's got to be Jesus plus the church. Man, my work schedule's changed. I've been traveling. I've been sick. I hadn't been in church for a long time. It's got to be Jesus plus his word. I guess that's the word of God. So I'm supposed to read his word. I'm sure I'm supposed to pray. Man, I just struggle doing those things. I've got these behaviors that that just feel out of control, like anger, impatience. Gosh, I'm just so impatient. There's no way I can be right with God until I figure out how to get these behaviors right, these struggles that I have. Maybe I got saved, but my wardrobe didn't. Like my clothes work great in the club on Friday, but they are not working in church on Sunday morning. I got to work on that, you know, before I can get right with God. If we're not careful, we can have a plus one mentality to our faith. But what Jesus is telling Thomas, what Jesus is telling each of us today is that I am the way. What he did on the cross made a way for each of us to be in right standing with God on your good days, on your bad days, in your successes and your failures. Jesus is the way. So my question for you today is, is there any area in your life in which you're living out a plus one faith? Maybe things that you feel condemned or guilty of, things that you feel convicted about. 
Maybe behaviors that just don't feel life-giving to you. And you've said a lot of, I wish I could quit that or I need to stop that, but you haven't done it yet. And you're thinking, well, surely God couldn't be happy with me because of that. Maybe at the end of our service today, as we go into response time, today's going to be the day that you take a step towards the cross and you write down whatever those plus one things are that you think you ought to do, need to do, should do. You're going to leave them there, pin them to the cross as a way of saying, Jesus, you are the way. So his first word to them is, I am the way. Number two, he said, I am the truth. I am the truth. You know, all of us come into a relationship with God with, with a pre-download, like a software of truth in terms of how we see him. It might not be like the truth. It's just a truth. You ever heard anybody say, like, I'm just living my truth? Whatever that means. You know? we, all, we all come pre-loaded with, with some kind of truth that we project on God. And in preparing for the message this week, I just did some praying about, okay, where did these beliefs that I live out of come from? And where it took me was to a Sunday school class in second grade. I was, I was sitting there in a circle with maybe 10 other, 10 other boys. I don't know what I was doing in the moment. I'm sure I was talking or, you know, doing something disruptive. But I was sitting there and I had my hands on my lap. And have you ever had your hand or knuckles smacked with a, a number two pencil? Like, you wouldn't think that hurt too bad. But it hurt, you know. I was sitting there talking, not looking at the teacher, and felt, ah, man. And I remember being embarrassed. I remember being in pain and kind of biting my lip because I didn't want to cry. And when I turned to my teacher, I saw him say, hey, be quiet. This is serious. Stop it. And for whatever reason, in the mind of a second grader, I, I like took a mental snapshot of the anger and frustration on that guy's face, and I projected it to God. And what I told myself was that the house of God was not, if you want to be silly and cut up, this is not the place to do it. When we're talking about the things of God, you listen up and you be serious. And it gave me this picture of a God who's angry with me. He's just, just frustrated. And I don't know about you if you envision someone in your life that is typically like just angry and, and frustrating. You don't wake up in the morning and think like, man, I want to go hang out with him. Grumple Stillskin. Let's go say, hey, what's up? Oh, still angry. Okay. You know, that's cool. Right. It's like, God, I'll do anything. Is there anything else I could do other than, than engage with that? So if I'm not careful, I've got to watch myself because I'll distance myself from him thinking that he's angry. Or I'll start doing behaviors trying to put a smile on his face. It's like, hey, God, I've had a quiet time seven days in a row. I haven't missed church this year, and we increased our giving at church, and I've yet to yell at my kids today. <laughs> like, you got to be happy now, right? Like, that's pretty good track record. You know, it's like... You can start behaving in ways, trying to please your father, living out a truth that is not the truth. It's the farthest thing from his heart. John 17, 17, to give us a picture of what he was talking about when he said, I am the truth. His prayer for the disciples, he said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. John 1, 14 says the word, the truth of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So the word of God is true. The word became flesh. So Jesus is the truth of God with skin on. That word truth there defined means what is true in any matter under consideration. In reality, in fact, and in certainty, he is the truth. 
John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who himself is God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Meaning that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. If you're questioning, what is God like? What is his face or countenance to me? What is his, his heart for me? We need to look no further than the person of Jesus. All throughout the Gospels, I think about him walking up on Zacchaeus, a tax collector and sinner who made his living doing others wrong. He hears Jesus is coming up in town. He climbs up a tree because he's a wee little man. Another tough reputation I wouldn't want to have follow me for eternity, right? Jesus sees him up in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down. The Bible tells us that it was his kindness that leads Zacchaeus to repentance. And he says, for all that I've done wrong, I will repay them. I think about the woman caught in the act of adultery, whatever that must have been like. Imagine what she was wearing. She was dragged into town and thrown before a circle of men. At this point, I'm sure she's crying, tears running down her face. She's covered in dirt. The law, what she deserved was to be stoned to death. Jesus himself enters into that circle with all eyes on her. Now it's on her and Jesus. He squats down and says, may he who is without sin cast the first stone. He starts noodling in the sand. And one by one, her accusers start to walk away until they're all gone. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? She says, they're not here. He said, well, neither then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I think about the woman whose daughter died. Family, friends, people were over the house grieving, mourning, wailing, crying. Jesus shows up on the scene to a girl who was dead, dead. Jesus says, don't cry. She's not dead, but asleep. It's like, what? Jesus, she's dead. He walks up in the room, the Bible says, and takes her by the hand and says, little girl, I say to you, get up. For the person who was living in sin, for the person who was caught in sin, for the person who was dead, dead, he is the God that takes a step towards them in their pain to set them free, to forgive them, that they might experience the truth of the life he came to offer. I think about the masses, the 5,000, when they stepped out to hear Jesus teaching. At the end of the day, it's starting to get dark. It's a long journey home. And Jesus says, man, what are they going to eat? Like Jesus cares about my dinner. He says, disciples, y'all going to have to feed them. The creator of the universe was concerned with my nutrition. It was about to be a long walk. I want to make sure they have something to eat. This is the truth of our God. He looks upon you with love, a so love that he would send his son to die on the cross for your sins. So my question for you is, is what truth are you living out of? Is it created or rooted maybe in a lie of something that happened to you when you were a child? Maybe you grew up in a single parent home. You didn't have a father in your life and you feel like he's absent. So why pursue a relationship with him? Do you think he's angry? Do you think you have to earn his approval or affection through your behaviors? Don't let your truth be what you live out of. Live out of the truth. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. And number three, he is the life. He is the life. For Katie and I, our life verse, for any house that we've lived in that we've done like concrete work on or something like that, John 10.10 has been the verse that we etch in the driveway before it dries. Not the whole verse, because that would be ridiculous and a lot of etching, but just the reference, John 10, 10, right? And it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly and have it more abundantly. How many of you would say, sign me up for some of that? I want some abundant life. 
It's about half of you for the rest of you. I'm like, that's so weird. Why would you not want that? Thank you. Well, Katie and I lived out of the second half of that verse. We prayed into it in our marriage for our kids, for our finances, like God, abundant life. We don't want to settle for mediocre. We don't want to settle for less than. We don't want to settle for good enough. Our sights are on all that you came to offer us. We were so focused on the second half of that verse that we lived as if the first half wasn't a reality. That the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. The Bible tells us he, he roars like a, a lion, seeking throughout the earth, looking for who he may devour. He doesn't want to inconvenience you. He wants to kill you. He wants to steal all that Jesus came that you might have. And so it's easy for us to hear that verse and think like, well, he did come that we might have abundant life, but my life is full of pain and disappointment and struggle. So it must be talking more about eternal life. Like this is about when I die, me stepping into eternal life in heaven. And yes, that is true. Jesus did come that you might have eternal life. I'm reminded of my friend Lawton. He's 11 years old. And earlier this year, we had Tim, Tim Tebow here. He said, hey, there's a big difference in liking something and being passionate about it. And when Lawton got in the car that day, he was processing that statement in his relationship with Jesus. He was like, well, I know a lot of the stories. I could tell people about Jesus. I think I like Jesus, but I don't know if I'm passionate about him. Like, I don't know that I would do anything to have a relationship with him. Well, that next weekend, Pastor Adam Martin was up and he presented the gospel. And when Lawton got in the car that day, he told his mom and dad, like, hey, I understand what he was saying. So that got him starting to read the Bible, to talk with his parents. A couple weeks later, they went to visit his grandparents. Lawton told his granddad what he was learning. Granddad presented the gospel and Lawton accepted Christ, entered into a relationship with him. God didn't take Lawton from a bad kid to a good kid. God took Lawton from a dead kid to an alive kid. He gave him life, eternal life. They came back here to Seacoast. That's something to celebrate. They came back here to Seacoast and he heard about baptism. We were announcing an on-campus baptism and his parents thought, well, Lawton's probably going to wait because ocean baptism is just cooler. Who wouldn't like to be baptized in the ocean? But Lawton said, no, I'm passionate about this. I've made a decision and I want to get baptized. So he head out in response time and made that decision. Church, be certain Jesus came that we might have eternal life, but we don't have to wait until we die to start living. He came that we might have abundant life today, that we might step into the fullness of life that he came to offer today. I'm reminded of my friends, Dave and Don Keller. Dave is a business owner. Don is a nurse. They are both wildly successful, hardworking achievers. Well, Dave, when he was young, suffered from some abuse that brought about some shame in him that he's lived out of his entire adult life. He's made some decisions that he wasn't proud of. He was unfaithful in his marriage. Don forgave him. They've been married 30 years, but they never told anybody about what they had been through and, and the decisions that they had made. Well, this year they joined a small group. Dave said, man, I'm turning 68. I'm tired of hiding this stuff. And to see the tears roll down his face as he heard the people in a small group say, hey, listen, we see you, we love you, and we're not going anywhere. How many agree with me? You're never too old to experience forgiveness from your sins and abundant life in Christ if you're willing to come into and share and speak the truth. He put it on table. Whether you are 11 years old or 68 years old, there is life available for you today. I'm reminded of my friend Jasmine Banks at the North Charleston Dream Center. I met her three years ago when I was there speaking at a first Wednesday. Pastor Jeff brought her up on stage at that point to celebrate two years worth of sobriety. 
She had first come to the Dream Center two years before that where a substance abuse addiction had robbed her of the ability to walk. She walked into the Dream Center on a cane. And just this past month, February 7th, she celebrated five years of sobriety. And, and last year, she won Goose Creek Elementary School Teacher of the Year. So her freedom and life wasn't just for Jasmine, it's not just for the Dream Center, but it's for every child and family at that school. And I promise you, if you were to go and talk to her about where did this life come from, she wouldn't say, well, I worked hard, I was focused, I made it a goal. She would say, King Jesus showed up and gave me life. He healed me. He gave me another chance. And so church, my invitation for you today is the same one that he gave Thomas. It's the same one that he's extending to each and every one of us. I'm gonna count to three and I wanna invite each of you to bow your head and close your eyes. Number one, do you believe Jesus is the way? Have you been living out of a plus one faith that today you're gonna make a decision and say, Jesus, it is you and nothing else. Number two, is he the truth in your life? Have you been believing that God is angry or disappointment or in some way separated from you, but today you're gonna to say, no, the truth is that you love me, that you're with me, that you're for me. And three, that he is the life, that you wanna receive him not just for eternal life, but for life today. If that's you here in Mount Pleasant and all of our campuses, would you raise your hand for me? Raise them up all over the room, I see you. God, we thank you so much for every hand that's raised, for every decision that's been made. And we acknowledge you today as the way, as the truth, as the life. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. May you be the way maker. May you be the miracle worker, the promise keeper. That is who you are. In Jesus' name.